And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Winning lottery numbers we coming got up. Canes over here. Hey, we got canes over here. Category five, what you gonna do? Hey, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer, college football writer, recruiting writer for The Athletic, here with Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast. It is Monday, November 20th, a few days before Thanksgiving. Your Miami Hurricanes are now 6-5 and five following a third consecutive loss. Uh, they lost to the Louisville Cardinals on Saturday, 38-31. Carlos Ledo is uh, enjoying himself as uh, as as I'm saying that. Actually, he's not. He's he's pretty miserable. Uh, Carlos, uh, first of all, how did you take this defeat? It's three in a row now. Miami six and five. Uh, it looks like they could be headed to like the military bowl, or uh, they know. might they might go play in Guantanamo Bay the way they're playing at this point. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, I I mean it reminds me of the old that old Eddie Murphy joke. I think it was in. Was it in Raw or Delirious? Where he's like, when you haven't had sex in a long time, it's like being starved for like a mm-hmm. week or two. And then you get your hands on some regular saltine crackers and you think they're the greatest crackers you ever had in your life. Like, damn, these must be Ritz. These are delicious. Uh, I mean, <laughs> playing a close game against a top 10 team, I guess it's better than, you know, losing to Georgia Tech or anybody else. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is, man. It's just, it's the common theme. This team's not ready to take it to the next level. They shoot themselves in the foot. In the foot, they don't take advantage of their opportunities, and opposing teams do. And that's what good teams do. They take advantage of the opportunities are given. You give them a little bit of light, a little bit of hope, and they snatch it from you. And and the Hurricanes just haven't been able to shut the door on anyone all season, anyone of consequence. Yeah, it's been a frustrating year because you look at them and you say, man, uh, a couple of little plays here, a couple of plays there, and and maybe they're a nine or ten win team, or maybe. They're Louisville and getting an opportunity to play in the ACC championship against a Florida State team that now will not have Jordan Travis at quarterback after he went down with really what was a gruesome, uh, yeah. you know, knee injury, uh, foot injury. And and uh, so, uh, unfortunately for FSU, terrible break for those guys. But you know what? It's uh, it, it makes for an interesting couple of weeks here down the stretch. We'll see if, AC, if uh, FSU can get into the college football player. They can win the ACC title. Um, meanwhile, for those of you wondering, Manny already donated to Jordan Travis's GoFundMe as being the fan that he is (laughs) to help with his medical. That's right. My FSU fandom. How could I forget? Um, Miami, meanwhile, is going to close the season on Friday at Boston College. They are a nine point favorite, according to BetMGM, as I called up the app here, Carlos, to look up the exact numbers. Boston College is six and five. Um, I forgot who they just played and lost to. Uh, but I think they've lost two or three in a row as well. Uh, Mario Cristobal just had his press conference. He mentioned uh, that Elijah Royal should be back this week. Royal hasn't played since the Virginia game. Daryl Porter Jr. supposedly looked good in practice. 
He hasn't played in the last two games. And then, of course, uh, Leonard Taylor dressed up uh, for the last game in uniform, was on the sideline, but never entered the game, didn't have his helmet on him. I saw him go through pregame warm-ups and was banged up. And obviously, they missed him. He's your starting defensive tackle. Um, Carlos? Yeah, you know, I'm very excited to get Isaiah Arroyo back. Elijah Arroyo. It's a mix-up. Wrong Bible, book of the Bible that I threw out there. Um, <laughs> Elijah Arroyo, just to have another tight end out there that we can ignore. <laughs> That's right. 12, 12 catches still all year for the Miami Hurricanes tight ends through 11 games. Who would have imagined that? Well, Carlos, um, I wanted to do something interesting with this episode because um, I have a feeling Miami fans, if they haven't already tuned out for the season, they will after uh, Friday's game at noon in Boston. Listen, Manny, you and I are compelling enough that we're going to keep bringing them back. We, well, we are I, hot with the 65 and over crowd, especially the ladies. <laughs> so don't worry about it. We're doing it. Well, we will see how that works out. I'm assuming we will do plenty of recruiting coverage uh, as we get closer and closer to uh, signing day in December. We will have lots of news on transfers because that's that's going to start happening as well. Um, like I said, we're recording this Monday, November 20th, around 4 p.m. I would expect that we'll, we'll probably have some kids announcing they're going to the transfer portal as soon as we're done recording, Carlos, because that's the way this thing happens. But, uh, you know, look, transfer season has begun. Decommitment season has begun. LeBron James is tweeting about Jeremiah Smith and how he can't wait to see him at Ohio State. I mean, everybody's getting involved here in, in the uh, player personnel department of college football and what's going to happen here in the next few weeks. Lance Gidry, by the way, did answer a question about maybe, you know, uh, LSU and USC and some of these other programs reaching out to him. Miami's defensive coordinator uh, said that he's very happy at Miami. He's very happy with the job he has now. Of course, that doesn't exactly mean he's staying here. If, if one of those schools call, we will see what happens. But, Carlos, uh, things are going to start to change. And so my whole point is I wanted to do this episode where we kind of went back and looked at some of our preseason predictions and some of the things that we talked about on this show, some of the things I wrote about for The Athletic. And to sort of review, well, how close did we actually come to seeing these things happen? Um, first of all, let's start with the big picture here, Carlos. Uh, we are heading into the final game, as I mentioned, against Boston College. The over-under uh, for win total this year was 7.5 set by BetMGM. Miami is 6 in Vegas know what they're doing, bro. Yeah, Miami uh, is 6-5. and five. I said that they would finish 7-5. and five. Um, you said they would finish eight and four. Um, my predicted losses, I actually went schedule game by game. I said NC State, North Carolina, um, Texas A&M, Clemson, and FSU. So out of the 11 games that have been played, I'm seven and four in terms of predicting uh, win-loss record for Miami. If Miami beats Boston College, I will have nailed uh, eight out of the 12 games. Good so, for you. And now you're going to rub it in my face. So, Carlos, <laughs> I'm not rubbing anything in your face. Uh, should Miami fans – I'm going to start with this. Should Miami fans look back and, and look at their preseason prediction before they judge Mario Cristobal and the progress of this program? Um, That sounds logical, and that sounds like something that a rational person might do. But we are Miami fans, and we do not contain logic, nor do we contain any sort of rationale in our brains. It's always about the last game, the most recent game, and that's just human nature. It's, it's recency bias. And, you know, it, it's it's hard to, yes, take a look back and be reasonable about it and say, yeah, I predicted eight and four. But then you get into the season, the meat of it, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, there's man, there's opportunities here. We could have had this game. We could have had that game. 
But it, honestly, it could flip the other way around as well. You could have easily lost a couple other games that you you ended up pulling out that you sh- maybe shouldn't have. So yeah, they should look back and and see where they predicted this team to be. Although a lot of team, a lot of people predicted ten and two, man. A lot of people were going nine and three, ten and two, feeling really good about this team and feeling about two matchups against Florida State, one in the regular season, and the ACC title game. That just didn't come to fruition. And I would have been correct with eight and four if they win next week had they taken a knee against Georgia Tech. Just want to throw that out there. You're right about that. Uh, that definitely would have been accurate, but unfortunately it wasn't. And so now here we are, six and five, like I said, nine point favorite going into Boston College. ESPN put out their bowl projections. They said Fenway Bowl in Boston versus Memphis or the Military Bowl uh, in Annapolis versus Memphis. Athlon uh, and CBS both think Miami will be going to the Sun Bowl uh, to play Utah. Uh, which that would be kind of an intriguing matchup, uh, the U versus the U, so to speak, Carlos. Um, I don't like that matchup for a couple of reasons. Utah's very physical. They run the ball well. They've got a really good defense. And they've beaten the shit out of Mario Cristobal a few times, especially yeah. last year, two, two years ago. <laughs> you bring up excellent points. Um, either way, Miami will have some extra practices, which I think is really important for this program because really when you look at it, Carlos, um, there haven't been a lot of freshmen that have played. Some of them certainly have. But you look at this recruiting class, you look at some of the transfers, and I went up and down the roster. Um, I spent about a good two and a half hours today looking at snap counts, looking at starts, looking at guys who left the program, what they're doing at other programs uh, after leaving Miami. And this is why our relationship works so well. Why? I, I did not spend two and a half hours doing this. I could just get to show up and reap the benefits of your research. Exactly. But I, I the reason I bring this all up for Miami fans is because I think as we sit here and talk about Mario Cristobal changing the program, and he said, look, today he said this on in his press conference. He said, the improvement is real. Uh, he says that even though Miami is 11 and 12 uh, under his coaching, and mind you, a couple of those wins are against FCS teams, um, he says the improvement and the record may not reflect the improvement that Miami's made. Um, do you agree with that sentiment, Carlos? Overall, before we start dissecting it and talking about the quarterback and transfers and all that other kind of stuff, do you feel the improvement is real? Big picture, I do believe the roster has improved and the program has improved just because you were undergoing a complete rebuild, one that we didn't anticipate. And I don't think Mario anticipated either, either when he came on board. He basically ripped everything out started fresh, he tore down the existing structure and started rebuilding it with his recruits and guys in the transfer portal. Um, and that takes time. And that takes a, a little bit to to get going. But I will say, you know, they're in recruiting battles that they haven't been in in a long time. They're in the hunt for recruits they really in the past have had no business even being in the hunt for that really gave, didn't give them the time of day. Um, they've landed recruits over the last couple of years that they wouldn't have landed in the past. And... Uh, I think two of those guys are, are the ones that have played the best this season and Ruben Bain and Mark Fletcher. I'm not sure Manny Diaz lands either one of those guys, um, especially Mark Fletcher down the stretch at the last minute. I think those are, are direct products of Mario Cristobal. And I think when you look at the future and as more guys develop, you will see that the roster will look a lot different because of his recruiting. Now the question becomes, can he get enough talent on this roster where it overcomes the sort of issues that you have on the coaching side sometimes? Hopefully that'll be the case. All right. I came up um, and I agree with a lot of the points that you just made. Um, I think there are some cornerstone players that have been brought in, but I, I also will say, and I'm going to go down the list of, of transfers that Miami has added to the roster and you and I can do the math here. Okay. And we can say, did this guy, is this guy made, has this player made the program better? 
Okay. And we, I'm just going to read you some numbers. You can tell me, is this the kind of impact you needed? Okay. Number one, AJ Allen, running back, Nebraska, 137 snaps, one start, and one hellacious hurdle on his way to the end zone in Miami's last win over Virginia. AJ Allen, upgrade? I think for the depth of the running, of the running back room, as, as far as a fourth running back goes, yes. Okay. Tyler Harrell, wide receiver, Alabama, 77 snaps, no starts. And I'm not even going to give you his catches. And then another receiver, Shamar Kirk, Reedley College, no snaps. Yeah, those are not upgrades over um, Smith and Romeo uh, Romello Brinson. Jesus, I'm trying to – once I leave the program, I leave. I forget their names. Keyshawn Smith and Romello Brinson. Right. And and by the way, I'm going to mention here, um, Jalen Knighton has started six games at SMU. Um, Thaddeus Franklin, who who left for Louisiana Monroe, if you remember him, he was another mm-hmm. one of the running backs, 26 snaps. He's only appeared in three games. Meanwhile, the two receivers who went to SMU, Romello Brinson and Keyshawn Smith, five starts for Brinson, three for Smith. Uh, both of them have played well over 300 snaps. Um Cam McCormick, tight ends, nine starts, 472 snaps. Um, Miami, of course, said goodbye to Khalil Brantley and Dominic Mamorelli at the end of last season. Brantley started one game at FAU. He's played 162 snaps. Uh, what's what's McCormick's run blocking grade? <laughs> That's the only thing we use him for. I would say no because he's been useless as a pass catcher. Yep. All right. Uh, Miami said goodbye to Ja'Kai Clark, Lawrence Seymour, and John Campbell. Uh, as well as Michael McLaughlin. Um, Campbell went to Tennessee. Clark went to SMU. Seymour, I think, signed with Akron. Uh, the only one that's played uh, significantly is Campbell. He's just been the starting left tackle for nine games at Tennessee. Ja'Kai Clark has played 80 snaps off the bench at SMU. Uh, meanwhile, Miami added uh, starting left guard and Javian Cohen, starting center and Matt Lee. Both of them have 11 starts, well over 700 snaps. So, Upgrade clearly at the offensive. Yes, line. absolutely. Uh, defensive line. All right. Uh, Daryl Jackson went to Florida State. Hasn't played because of the transfer rule. Jordan Miller, meanwhile, went to SMU. He has started eleven games for SMU. Who, by the way, I think is nine and two, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Rhett Lashley. Uh, Alan Hay started five games at Temple before he got hurt. Uh, Elijah Roberts has started eleven games for SMU. He's actually been one of the best players on that defense. Jabari Ishmael transferred to Marshall. He's played 66 snaps. Uh, Thomas Davis, uh, the defensive end, the guy who was supposed to be a speed rusher, he went to Appalachian State. He's made three starts, played 243 snaps. Meanwhile, Miami brought in Anthony Campbell, who's played a total of eight snaps, a kid from Louisiana Monroe. Branson Dean. Forgot about that, dude. Yeah, Branson Dean has played, uh, has started uh, three games. He's got 260 snaps. Thomas Gore, Georgia State, 135 snaps. No starts. Did Miami upgrade or downgrade on the defensive line? Yeah, I would say downgrade because I, I think Jordan Miller probably would have been just as effective, if not more effective, than Branson Dean. And I really wish Elijah uh, Elijah Roberts would have stuck around because I think he has a lot of talent and a lot of ability. And you're seeing that at SMU, and it sucks that he that he left. Miami added two linebackers, uh, Kiko Mauinoa, who's an 11-game starter, second on the team in tackles. They added K.J. Cloyd from Louisville. He started six games for Miami, 338 snaps. He's very much been in the rotation. Meanwhile, Miami lost Avery Huff to FIU. Avery's played 93 snaps. So I think safe to say they upgraded the linebacker room. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
Kiko Mawanoa to me has been an, an amazing addition to that defense. He's all over the place. He has been all season. He's he's what you want in a middle linebacker. KJ Cloyd to me was surprising. I think he's had a really good season. Um, he's he's really athletic. He can cover guys um, on passing downs, and to me, he's he's only made that defense better. The both of them, and they've really helped elevate. I think Corey Flagg's game because he took it to another level this season as well. Miami's uh, cornerback room welcomed three new faces, uh, Devontae Brown, J- uh, Jadis Richard, and Jaden Davis. Jaden Davis has started 10 games. Uh, Jadis Richard started against Florida State, uh, uh, played 157 snaps. Devontae Brown, the transfer from UCF, has not started a single game. He's played 177 snaps, but really a lot of it is just sort of garbage time. Meanwhile, Miami lost Al Blades Jr., who started nine games for Duke on that impressive Duke defense. Kamari Rogers went to uh, Mississippi State, hasn't played at all. Isaiah Dunson went to Baylor, made one start. He's played 72 snaps. Chris Graves from Ole Miss, went to Ole Miss. He actually started against Georgia, but that was his only start of the season. He's got 127 snaps. Uh, and then Malik Curtis is another departure. Uh, the cornerback room, it looks like Miami did a better job bringing in yeah. players than, than losing him, right? Absolutely. Uh, and then the safety room, uh, Miami said goodbye to Avante Williams, who went to Maryland. He's played 27 snaps at Maryland. Jalen Harrell went to UMass. He's played 94 snaps. Keyshawn Washington um, is at Garden City Junior College. He's trying to get back in. Uh, Miami did not bring any safeties. So uh, when you when I when we ran through that whole thing, the transfer portal. Good enough work by Miami, or clearly not, still not good enough work with what they did in, in bringing in and, and, and losing players. I would say it's it's better, it's improved than it has been in the past. I think Mario's hit on a couple guys, a couple more guys than Manny has hit on. Usually, would have one guy that Manny would hit on on the portal, and he'd be successful. All the other guys would be like, eh. He also didn't bring in as many as Mario has. But I think the additions at linebacker, the additions at corner, the additions on the offensive line to me, have been really big upgrades and have helped this team a lot. I can't imagine last year's secondary or the guys returning from last year in that secondary coming into this season and that offensive line from last season coming into this season uh, and the linebackers, how that would have looked had they not been here. So we're talking six and five now. We would have easily been talking maybe, you know, four and seven. Who knows? Uh, these are the 26 enrollees that were high school players, okay, or, or, or JUCO transfers. Uh, Dylan Joyce, the punter, I think he's had a pr- pretty good year for the most part, replacing uh, Lou Headley. Um, Francis Mauino has been a starter from, from day one. Samson Okolola, unfortunately, got hurt, the five-star offensive tackle. He only ended up playing 36 snaps. Ruben Bain started nine games at edge rusher. Mark Fletcher um, has become their, the team's leading rusher. Uh, and the, over the last three weeks, he's he's come back and been a regular starter. So, out of the out of the top four guys, three of the top four 100 recruits Mario signed had impacts, uh, big impacts. Um, Jaden Wayne, four star edge rusher. I think I looked at his numbers earlier. He really hasn't played a whole lot. Neither has Robbie Washington. Uh, Ray Ray Joseph has sort of been a surprise. Hasn't played a ton. Riley Williams has played, just doesn't have any production. Uh, Robert Stafford, the cornerback, the four-star cornerback, really nothing. Damari Brown got a, has uh, got a start here towards the end of the season against FSU. I think he's done okay. Uh, but a lot of other guys, I'm going to read other names to you, and, and these are guys that you haven't seen at all. Collins Achiampong, Malik Bryant, Josh Horton, Raul Aguirre, Antonio Tripp, Chris Johnson, Tommy Kinsler, Bobby Washington Jr., Caleb Spencer, Emery Williams, of course, we saw for two starts, but, you know, uh, really he was the backup. Jackson Carver. Shamar Kirk, I already mentioned. Demetrius Freeney, we never saw him. Frankie Tinalau and Marcellius Pulliam. So 
when you go back, Carlos, and we look at all the transfers, the 41 new faces, it really feels like, what, maybe 12 to 15 had an actual impact from, from last year? Yeah, it feels that way. But I, I think the the impact that Ruben Bain and Mark Fletcher have had sort of help, helps elevate that because they, they really hit big on that because you can tell those two kids are all American potential, which is good to see. I, I think as time goes on and he adds more bodies and he adds more guys, it's going to look a lot different. But I think the good news is you're no longer hitting on when you consider a hit, a starter that produces, you know, okay numbers. Now when you get hits, you're getting guys that are all American caliber, which is good to see, or guys that are really productive starters that can really make an impact on your team. That was the difference. I think you can, you can say that, you know, the numbers may not be there in terms of bulk, but the quality, I think the guys that are contributing and playing is, is significant. All right. I, let's get to some of these predictions, and that'll help sort of launch the discussion in each of these rooms. Uh, quarterback. I, I said this preseason. I said if Tyler Van Dyke plays all 12 regular season games, I'm calling for, for him to complete 64% of his passes for 3,200 yards, 29 touchdowns, and eight picks, which should make him a top 40 quarterback in terms of QBR. You want to know what his actual numbers are? 40. Uh, what- 17 and 12 touchdowns? (laughs) Yeah, 17 touchdowns, 12 picks. He's 42nd in QBR. He's got a 66% completion percentage, and he's thrown for 2,413 yards. Now, obviously, he missed the Clemson game, and he didn't start against FSU. Uh, If he didn't – I'll put it this way. I think you and I both thought going into this year, Tyler Van Dyke, if healthy, would start every single game. And the fact that he didn't is safe to sort of assume that this was a year of failure for the quarterback room. Yes or no? Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, you would imagine that part of that, one of them was an injury that kept him out of the Clemson game, but the other one was just a performance thing. And you anticipated, we both anticipated him being over 3,000 yards this year and being at or close to 30 touchdowns and definitely not throwing 12 interceptions. So the production there as a quarterback is very disappointing considering that they were going in with this new offense with Shannon Dawson that seemed to play better to his strengths and would help him be more effective as a quarterback. And early on, it looked like that was the case. And then just the wheels fell off. And before you know it, we were like Clark Griswold heading down that that embankment in the snow in uh, Christmas vacation when he lubes it up and he's just shooting yeah. all over the place and ends up in a Walmart. That's that's how the, that ended up going with the quarterbacks. I would say we certainly feel a lot worse about the quarterback room going forward too because we never saw Jakari Brown. And Emery Williams, what we did see of him, yes, he got the win against Clemson, but it wasn't anything that makes you feel going into next season that Miami's quarterback position is safe or that right. it has a bright future. That That is a huge hole on this team going forward. We can agree on that. Absolutely. The running back room, we expected improvement from, and I wrote this in The Athletic. Miami finished 95th in yards per carry, 3.74 in 2022, 98th. Uh, in two, 2021, and they hadn't had a running back eclipse 700 yards since 2018. Um, Shannon Dawson had said prior to the season it will be running back by committee, which made me predict that there would not be a 1,000-yard rusher, which Miami hasn't had one since 2016 when Mark Walton was here. But I did say Miami would average better than 4.1 yards per carry and finish in the top half in the ACC in rushing with at least 2,000 yards as a team. I also said I bet Mark Fletcher leads the team in rushing attempts, yards, touchdowns, and yards per carry with A.J. Allen and Henry Parrish Jr. on his tail. Do you want to know what the numbers are? Uh, Mark Fletcher is currently the leading rusher. Mark Fletcher is tied for the rushing lead. He's got 91 attempts. Okay, I said he would have 100 rushing attempts for 603 yards and, and six touchdowns. 
Right now, Mark Fletcher has 91 attempts for 468 yards and four touchdowns. So he could get those numbers next game. He could very well. I mean, if he runs for uh, 132 yards, he'll he'll hit you know on nine carries with two scores. Then uh, then then I'll hit the number exactly. Um, Miami as a team, Carlos has run for 1,879 yards and 18 touchdowns. I said 2,000 that I think they would eclipse that mark, and they're actually 18th in the country this season with 5.11 yards per carry. Henry Parrish, second or, or tied with Fletcher for the for the rushing lead, 78 attempts, 468 yards, four touchdowns. Don Chaney Jr., 91 attempts, 467 yards, two touchdowns. Um, it's been it's been pretty much what we expected, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't think one guy would be dominant over the other. I think I predicted before the season that there'd be three guys at or around five or six hundred yards in that range. Um, so yeah, it's, in, it's what I anticipated. What's disappointed me lately though, is that the rotation mm-hmm. has been a little bit locked in on Mark Fletcher and there hasn't been enough carries for the other guys to go around. And I think the advantage you have when you have that many running backs that can produce is you could keep your starter fresh, give him the bulk of the carries, but you've got to mix in the other guys and utilize their skill set a little bit better and give them a little bit different look. Uh, from the running back position every different a couple different series and take advantage of that offensive line. I don't think they've done that towards the latter half of the season. I think they've been focusing on one guy. Uh, last couple games before this, it was you know Cheney running the ball a little bit more. Now it's been Fletcher as opposed to mixing those guys in a little bit more. If you're going to get 30 carries, 40 carries a game, you can give Fletcher 15 and then split the rest amongst the other guys. Yeah. Wide receiver, um, we, we were worried about that position, right? Coming into this year, we thought, okay, maybe the first three guys are really good. Uh, and then after that, you know, we'll see who sort of emerges. Maybe Bashard Smith becomes that guy. Uh, I actually thought Ray Ray Joseph was going to have a huge impact. I thought he'd be up for freshman All-American. I predicted 45 catches for 733 yards and five touchdowns for Ray Ray. Well, guess what? Six catches, 36 yards, no score. So I was dead wrong about Ray Ray Joseph, which, to be honest, had he emerged, maybe this offense – you know him and Tyler Van Dyke cooking up that many times. Maybe, uh, maybe Miami has a much better season. Uh, but the bottom probably line not because is- they would have ignored him like they've ignored Brashard Smith all year. <laughs> that didn't end up happening. I said uh, Colby Young would lead the team with 11 touchdown catches, the most by a Hurricane since Leonard Hankerson. Uh, I said he'd have 55 catches for 711 yards. Colby Young, 44 catches, 529 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, I did say Xavier Strepper would lead the team with 65 catches for 840 yards and a handful of touchdowns. Uh, Xavier, 68 catches to lead the team, 876 yards and five scores. The one guy that has had really a breakthrough season that I was not expecting him to play that well is Jacoby George. Yep. 49 catches, 762 yards and seven scores. I'll ask you this. Is Miami, assuming all of these guys come back, is Miami's receiver room a lot better than it was coming into the year? Um, you know, compared to last season, I would say yes. Uh, just because last season the receiver room really wasn't producing anything until they discovered Colby Young towards the end of the season, right? And then once Tyler went down and it was Jacoby Brown, it was is and, and you know Jake Garcia, there wasn't a lot going on in the, in the way of the, the passing game, and it, definitely not in the big play passing game. Uh, so I would say they're much improved. I think the addition of, you know, the, the rise of Jacoby George this year gives them something, another element that they have of explosiveness. I think Colby Young is still, you know, criminally underused 
as a receiver with that kind of a body and that kind of ability, they don't really get it to him enough. You know, Restrepo is given his all. He's pretty much maxed out in terms of what his talent and ability are and, and produced it on the field. I don't think he's going to be any, any more than he is, but what he is is really good at what he does. And I think moving into next season, if they could look at moving Jacoby George a little bit, putting him in the slot and getting him in motion more, getting him more free releases, I think he can have an even bigger year because I think you'll see sometimes when he tries to get free down the field, when he gets hands on him, when people put put hands on him, he doesn't really break loose. Um, and guys are on him and they're on his hip. Even that last play of the game uh, for the on offense for the Hurricanes, he thought it was holding. It was just a guy being physical with him and he was just getting tossed around like a rag doll. Um, and those things happen when you're a smaller dude. So putting him in the slot, I think, will be a huge help and can even improve that offense a little bit more. And then maybe finding another guy to play outside uh, and, and mixing him and Restrepo in the slot. And then for God's sakes, find a role for Richard Smith. Give this guy the ball. He needs it more often. Please. If he sticks around, Carlos, if he's still yeah, here. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. 22 catches, 263 yards, and two scores for Brashard Smith. He's the fourth leading receiver on the team. Uh, there's only four guys on the team with 10 or more catches. Um, that should tell you something. And part of part of that is what's the failure of the tight end position. Uh, as I mentioned in my, in my preview prior to the season, Will Mallory led the Hurricanes with 42 catches for 538 yards and three touchdowns a year ago. Uh, I predicted Arroyo, Elijah Arroyo, who's, who spent most of the season injured, to finish with basically matching Mallory's uh, numbers uh, for 2021, which was 30 catches for 347 yards and four touchdowns. Right now, Miami's tight ends combined, 12 catches, 108 yards, and one touchdown. Now, you do have Riley Williams. You do have uh, Jackson Carver. But the fact that Jaleel Skinner was never developed, the fact that Cam McCormick has hands of stone – how worried are, are you about the tight end position going forward? Very worried because, you know, you've gotten a lot of reps for Riley Williams and he hasn't produced anything out there. I think he's got the one touchdown for the tight ends. But aside from that, he really hasn't done anything all year. He hasn't been explosive. He hasn't they haven't been he hasn't been good enough for them to find packages and plays to throw at him. And that's concerning, being that he's just the one that's gotten the most run out of all the guys on that team at the tight end position, aside from Cam McCormick. You know, the disappointing thing for me is that they didn't develop Jaleel Skinner or they didn't find a way to get him on the field. That kid was ultra talented. You saw it last year. He had ability even coming in as a skinny freshman. He was making plays. You know, if they could have added a dynamic guy like that at tight end, I think that would have made a huge difference on the offense. I think if you don't think the tight end position is important, and if you don't think having a threat at tight end makes a difference, look at what Louisville did to the Hurricanes this past Saturday. It was all play action hits to the tight end that were killing that defense because they were covering up all the guys on the outside and the tight end was roaming free. Or they had guys locked up on the tight ends, but the scheme was so good and the, the play action was so good that those tight ends were breaking free anyway. And that's what you have to do is create pressure on the defense from all angles. And once they have your guys locked up, who would have thought that locking up Thrash all game, keeping him out of the end zone, except for a two-point conversion, you would if you would have taken those numbers which Thrash had, I think he had like a couple catches for 10, 12 yards, not a lot. You would have thought this hurt the Hurricanes won, won this game handily and convincingly, but the tight ends made a huge difference and their ability to run the football. And that's why you need that threat at tight end and a threat out of the backfield as well. Absolutely. <clears throat> Miami's offensive line, I said, don't expect the rotation to go very deep. I said the first two guys off the bench would be Samson Okunlola and Matthew McCoy. Uh, it pretty much played out that way, Carlos. When you look at this offensive line, Jalen Rivers, 11 starts at left tackle, 734 snaps. He's uh, the second highest offensive, uh, second highest graded offensive lineman, a seven, 74.8 PFF grade. Uh, JV and Cohen, the transfer from Alabama, 11 starts, 709 snaps. He's graded out 60.4. He's actually the lowest grade graded offensive lineman Miami has. Matthew Lee, 
77.1 grade, uh, 11 starts for Miami. And as Cooper, 64.5 grade, 11 starts at right guard. And then Francis Mauinoa, the freshman, uh, 722 snaps, 11 starts. McCoy, second among the offensive linemen with 91 snaps. And then uh, Samson Okalola after that with 30, Carlos. Um, the offensive line, obviously, we thought would be the strength of this team going into the season. They've certainly lived up to it. The running game has improved. Uh, the quarterbacks, for the most part, have been protected. I don't. I mean, I don't know if Miami's necessarily in a better position going into next year, especially if Javian Cohen and Matt Lee leave, because those are going to be two big holes to replace. But I would say Mario's goal of improving the offensive line and putting them on a better path has certainly happened. Yeah, absolutely. And I prefer the shorter leash on the offensive line and the shorter rotation just because it takes so long for an offensive line to gel and work together. You've got to have repetition with the same five guys over and over again. You mix in your backups, of course, to try and, and plan for an emergency. But offensive line is all about communication and being in the same spot, in the right spot with your partner and all your other guys in the offensive line. If you're double teaming and you got to figure out who needs to come off to that second level, if you're hearing the line calls, if you're dealing with different stunts and and kind of action up front and movement by a defensive line, all that takes communication, planning, and repetition, and knowing and trusting where your teammates are going to be. And that's why I prefer that shorter rotation, that shorter leash on that offensive line. I think it's worked out very well. You know, I think Javian Cohen's grade, although it's kind of low, I think he's played better than that grade. Um, you know, I, I think I've been very impressed with Matt Lee. I think he's been the best offensive lineman all year. Um, I, Jalen Rivers played better at left tackle than I anticipated. And Manuel had his struggles, but he's gotten better towards the end of the year. And then as Cooper has been solid all year long, I think he might be, you know, aside from Matt Lee, the most consistent offensive lineman. Miami's run defense and their defensive line, I thought it would take a step back because I was worried about the defensive tackle position. Uh, I thought without the size of Daryl Jackson, Miami was probably going to slip uh, from being average, which was 63rd a year ago, 4.0 yards per carry, to finishing further down the list. I said good rushing teams would find ways to beat the Hurricanes, who ranked eighth in the ACC in rushing yards allowed per game, 142.1. I was dead wrong, Carlos. They have really improved. Uh, they are the 10th ranked run defense, 92.91 yards per game. They're only giving up three yards per carry. Yes, they've given up 13 rushing touchdowns. But for the most part, this group played really, really well. And I think that's probably a credit to Lance Gidry and some of the schemes and some of the stuff that he did with his linebackers uh, and, and the fact that, you know, he, he rotated guys. I said, uh, you know, Branson Dean uh, would likely lead the team in snaps at defensive tackle. He played 492 last season for, for Purdue. Leonard Taylor uh, played 329 snaps a year ago. I said, if both of these guys play more than 500 snaps, Miami is going to have one of the worst rushing defenses in the ACC. Well, I'm looking at the numbers now. Uh, and right now, Leonard Taylor has played 341 snaps and Branson Dean has played 260. So he rotated. He found rotation. He found snaps for other guys. Thomas Gore was in there. Uh, we mentioned the linebacker. Jared Harrison Hunt played 432 snaps. Ruben Bain has played 526 snaps. Um, he made it work, Carlos. Yeah, and I think before the season, I discussed that what they're going to have to do is because they're undersized at the defensive line, especially at tackle was to use this, the speed and the versatility of that defensive line in stunts, slants, twists, things of that nature yep. to try and create havoc. And that's what they've done. And I think what really put them over the top after getting their ass kicked by North Carolina and, and giving up a ton of rushing yards uh, to Omari and Hampton, when they went into that Clemson game eventually, they figured out they had to go 3-3-5 because of their injuries up front. And the 3-3-5 to me has worked magic for them. I think they've done a really good job using it. Uh, it's been another wrinkle that they've used to try and stop the run against uh, good rushing teams, and it's worked out pretty well. 
you know, they gave up some rushing yards to Louisville this past weekend. But other than that, I think they've they've had a good season defending the run. On the flip side, I said the Hurricanes would top 40 sacks for the first time since 2019 with the collection of talent. Well, guess what? They lost Akeem Mesidor really early in the season. Nigel Lee Kelly went down. Uh, and Ruben Bain had to play a ton. I said Ruben Bain would get to eight sacks, and you called me crazy. I said Nigel Lee Kelly would get to eight sacks, and you called me crazy. Well, Miami has 33 uh, sacks as a team. They're not at 40. Uh, Maui Goa, Francis Maui Goa, the linebacker, Francisco Maui Goa, rather, he leads the team with six and a half sacks. Him and Ruben Bain do. They each have six and a half sacks. So Bain may actually get to eight if he if he can have a big day here against Boston College. Branson Dean is next with two and a half. But I'm willing to say here, Carlos, that if Mesador and Kelly are healthy, Miami probably gets to that goal that I set out for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Those two guys are, are big-time pass rushers, big-time defensive linemen. And without them... You know, it, it hurt the pass rush a little bit. They still made plays, and I think the emergence of Ruben Bain has been fantastic. But I think what you've seen over the last couple of weeks, teams have started to focus in on him and double him and stop him from being, you know, one-on-one with a tackle or a guard. And that's the other beauty of that 3-3-5. They've allowed uh, Ruben Bain to not just work on tackles, but on guards inside and move him around to be able to get the kind of uh, leverage and opportunities he's had in the pass rush. But yeah, you're absolutely right. If you've got those two guys on the roster, you're hitting 40 sacks, and I think you're able to be more versatile on defense than you have been because you could play Mesador at tackle as well in a third down, third and long and in different situations. Miami's linebacker position, I thought, has obviously – I mean, I expected improvement. I thought Maui Noah, from watching him in the spring, he was going to come in, and my prediction essentially was he was going to replace Corey Flagg as a starting linebacker, middle linebacker, and lead all Miami linebackers in snaps with 550 – and tackles with more than 80 tackles. Well, he's number two on the team behind James Williams, who has 69 tackles. Maui Noah has 61 tackles. And when I look at his snap count, uh, he's actually got 599 snaps. K.J. Cloyd uh, and Corey Flagg. Corey Flagg, 350. K.J. Cloyd, 338. And then Wesley Bassain, 381. So, uh, again, that 3-3-5 look um, was a brilliant call, but at least Maui Noah lived up to the expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other guys that filled in, filled in along with him took their game to a different level. I think Basanth has played well this year. You know, Corey Flagg, to me, has been the surprise of the linebacker room. Uh, I knew Maui Noah was going to come in and play ball. I thought KJ Cloyd would be good, but he's been better than expected. But really, the, the Corey Flagg has been the most consistent linebacker all year long. Maui Noah has had some, a couple of rough games, but he's played the best out of everybody. But Flagg has been consistent every game. He showed up and, and made plays. And good for that kid, man. It's good that they've added that kind of depth now with the linebacker spot. And hopefully these guys, these young guys coming up behind him can pick up the slack and continue to do that. But it was very surprising to see uh, how well those guys played this season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And I will say, I think, you know, they do feel good about Aguirre and Bobby Washington and Bryant. And those guys have played a lot on special teams this year. They've gotten some, I've seen them in the games, Pulliam as well. Um, they're just guys that we're going to have to see progress here in the spring. But I think that's a position overall. When we think about Mario and what the staff have done, They've certainly upgraded offensive line, and I would say defense linebacker, which is really an area that I thought Manny Diaz dropped the ball, right? With, yeah, with, and not only that, recruiting. but I think it's 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 important that these guys get a chance to develop on special teams mm-hmm. like Hurricane players of the past used to yep. and not get fr- thrust into a starting role as a freshman right away or play significant snaps when they're not ready for it. And it costs the team on the field, but it also costs them because it, it hurts their confidence. They could you know be injured because their bodies aren't ready to do all that kind of contact yet at this level. But thankfully, they've been good enough to where they can ease these guys in. Yep. Uh, let's go to the cornerback room, uh, Carlos. Um, let's see here. All right. Uh, I said Miami's pass defense was bad last season. Uh, an improved pass rush will probably help the Hurricane show progress across the board. That was my preseason prediction. Opposing quarterbacks completed 61% of their passes for an average of 233 yards per game and 8.3 per attempt last year. And 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 Miami... Uh, ranked last in the ACC and 121st overall in that stat. Uh, I said, will all of the big uh, pass plays uh, vanish? No, but there should be fewer of them. After giving up an ACC high 15 pass plays or 40 yards or more, <laughs> I said Miami would trim it to 10. You want to know what, how many Miami's given up this year, Carlos? 10. 10. <laughs> Their opposing QBR is 43rd in the country, so they've improved there. Um, they're only allowing 50% of the passes thrown against them to be completed. So that's an improvement. And they're only allowing 7.2 yards per pass play. It was 8.3 a year ago. Um, 15 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Uh, I, I would say between Jaden Davis and um, 
you know, the improvements maybe of Takori Couch and, and Daryl Porter Jr., guys yeah. that were already in the system. That's Jamil Adai coaching those guys up to make them better. Um, and, and to me, like, that room has improved. And I would say going into next year between Damari Brown and Jadis Richard, I mean, I'm not as panicked about the cornerback room as I might have been had those guys not got an opportunity to play here late in the year. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to need to add more talent. I think they need a couple guys in the portal. But other than that, I think they've done a lot better than we anticipated, played a lot better than we anticipated. And can you imagine what those passing numbers would would look like now had they not had two guys run into each other uh, Saturday against Louisville and give up a 58-yard touchdown? Yeah. That would have been great. That would have, uh, they wouldn't have lost, probably, uh, Carlos. Uh, the safety room, I will say, though, I'm not necessarily feeling a whole lot better about. Uh, James Williams, Cameron Kitchens have played a ton uh, 680 snaps for James Williams, uh, 588 for Cameron Kitchens. Jaden Harris, who Miami coaches do feel good about, played 130 uh, snaps. Two of them made two starts, rather, uh, when Cameron Kitchens was out. Uh, my predictions for the safety room, and I know a big topic in the preseason was how much James Williams would play linebacker. By my count, looking at Pro Football Focus's numbers, 155 snaps as a linebacker. Uh, total for James Williams. I said uh, it'll probably be fewer than 150. I was wrong. He's played, you know, a total of 235 snaps in the box, uh, both as a linebacker slash safety. So uh, in the end, though, I would say if you look at him and Cam Kitchens, Carlos, I don't know they've necessarily played great. Uh, no. Kitchens, uh, I, you know, I, would he match the ACC leading six picks he had a season ago? I said yes. And right now, he is actually tied for the ACC lead with Boston College's Elijah Jones with five interceptions. But I think we can agree there's been times when they've been out of position to make plays. Yeah, and I think you've seen it in big spots, too. You saw it against Louisville this past weekend. You saw it against Florida State. I think both guys have had their issues, especially Cam Kitchens after the injury, has had issues uh, in coverage, losing guys. Uh, James Williams has never really been a really good cover guy, and that's kind of been a little bit more exposed this season. You know, he comes up and make big, makes big hits on occasion, and that steals the show and that steals the highlights, but there's a lot of times where he's in there missing tackles out of position or comes in way too high and just can't finish plays. Um, I would like to see a lot more out of him. I think, to me, he and Leonard Taylor, their production this year has been disappointing. You expected those guys to take a step forward and, you know, expect them to be first-round picks coming into this year because of their ability and how they came into this program hyped up as five stars, but it just hasn't developed yet. And you wanted to see Cam Kitchen take that next step and become an elite safety, uh, Ed Reed-type safety, but he sort of regressed since the injury, especially in pass coverage. Although he's got interceptions, but that doesn't always tell the whole story. No, interceptions don't tell the whole story. And I think his pro football focus grade compared to last year, in fact, I'm looking at it right now, Kitchen's 65.8 pro football focus grade a year ago was 90. Yeah. Um, that's that's what pro football focus thinks. And James Williams had a 73.5 PFF grade a year ago. This year, it's 69.7. So, yep. again, um, that's pro football focus. I know not everybody gives a damn about what pro football focus has to say. But, again, they're the guys who sit there and break down film and, and all that. And, and from I what just, I've seen from my eyes, I agree with those numbers. You agree with it. Okay. I think most, most fans probably would as well. Um, now, it'll obviously be really interesting, Carlos, what happens here in the next few weeks. Will guys skip the bowl game? You know, are guys going to announce that they're transferring? All of that is going to play a huge role. But, again, now that we've reviewed all of those numbers, right, and we've sort of broken it down by position, this is my opinion. You can agree to disagree. I think Miami's taking a step back at quarterback. I think they've taken a step forward at running back. 
receiver, offensive line. They've taken a step back at tight end. So three forward on offense, two steps back uh, on offense. On defense, I would say um, once guys get healthy, I think the defensive line will have improved, right? Because you're going to have Nigel Lee Kelly and, and Ruben Bain and, and probably Akeem Mesidor back next year. Uh, but I still think they need to add some depth, and we've got to see what they've got at the freshman position. On defense, uh, linebacker has improved. I would say cornerback kind of stayed the same, and safety, certainly I'm a little concerned. Uh, agree with all those sentiments, or, or am I missing anywhere uh, upon reflection here? Yeah, I think the defensive line, even considering what they've gone through this year, they've taken a step forward. I think had you had those injuries a year ago, I don't think they would have played as well as they played this season. You would have had a major mm -hmm. hole there. And I think the depth at that defensive line, that's why it's important to have depth along those lines, both the offensive and defensive lines, but especially the defensive line, um, helped keep that defense afloat and keep them effective and efficient in stopping the run and getting pressure on the quarterback. So I think I would say that's a step forward. Um, I agree with the corners. I think the corners played slightly better than they did a year ago. I think Tyreek Stevenson, aside from him, nobody really played all that well last season at corner. Um I think now you have a couple more guys that are out there, like Daryl Porter Jr. is out of a really good season, like you said, Jaden Davis, uh, Jadias Richard, all these guys. And and even the younger Brown has played pretty well, uh, has had his moments on and off, but I think he's played okay uh, to, to this point. So I, th I feel better about that at the end of the season. Safety, of course, you know, th there's concerns there. But I think overall, the defense obviously has taken a step forward, not just in terms of how we feel position by position, but in their productivity. And now, because you said, three steps forward, two steps back during the offense. I cannot get the Paula Abdul song out of my head. Two steps forward, <laughs> two steps back, because opposites attract. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I mean, listen, I, I, for the people tuning in and watching this uh, this episode, like, I think sometimes like we can get lost in the emotion. Miami's lost three games in a row, right? They're six and five. Here we go again. And when Mario comes out in a press conference and says we've taken big steps forward and we have, you know, a top 25 offense and a top 25 defense and look at the certain positions we've improved. It's like, OK, well, what where's reality and all that? Right. Like, is he is he just giving us what you want to hear or are the fans right that maybe there's some huge holes? I think, Carlos, ultimately, if he doesn't get a quarterback here, none of this is going to matter because yeah. unfortunately, college football. I mean, And that's so much of what our previous episode was about is they've got to get a guy. But if they get a guy there, if they get a guy there, and next season you're talking about, uh, man, what what a great job. He went out and he got the transfer quarterback that he needed. What's the ceiling next year? Right now, on, on the eve of you know the final game of the 2023 regular season, when you close your eyes and picture a imaginary quarterback from Miami getting the job done, what do you think the ceiling is with this roster? Nine and three, ten and two. Okay. That would have, and that's essentially probably what they would have been had they had that quarterback position this year, right? Yeah, and I mean, it, again, it, this is all speculative before the season even ends. Right. We don't know what they're going to do in the transfer portal. We don't know what's going to end up happening in recruiting. We don't know what guys might leave now in the portal. So all of that is is up for debate. But I think if they come into the season with a roster similar to this one, and I think the same kind of configuration, you're expecting all sort of same things. I think with a better quarterback, you're nine and three, ten and two. Next year's schedule is a little bit different, but uh, I think that nine and three or ten and two is going to be a lot more impressive than it would have been this year because of the opponents you're going to be facing. Um, but honestly, man, I, it, it's just really all dependent about what happens in the portal and if they take that next step. And I think also it's dependent upon 
how you call games on offense. You can have the best quarterback in the world, and like we've discussed it, but if you're not giving him enough to do, if you aren't playing into his strengths, if you aren't calling an offense that's favorable to him and the way he likes to operate and uses your weapons properly, then it doesn't right. make a difference because what you're going to get is what we saw on Saturday. Yeah, a lot of yards, but not a ton of points. That was the first time they scored 30 points in a month. They had yeah. to score 30 points since North Carolina. And I called you right after the game and I said, you know, I had this conversation with David Lake in the press box uh, right after the game was over. And he said, look, you know, defense is the one that blew it today. And yes, Lance Guidry's unit uh, gave up a lot of yards and they gave up 38 points. But as I mentioned to David after the game, sometimes in college football, you got to score 40 points to win. Like you're not you're not going to be able to just say, hey, our defense needs to show up and hold everybody under 30. The reality is you face good teams. Your offense has to be able to score. So I still put that loss on the fact that Miami could not execute in the red zone. And when push came to shove, Tyler Van Dyke couldn't hit his receivers in the red zone to score points. And and, and that's and, that's the bottom line. And I'll give you an example of that. Right. So it was. Uh, let's see, Louisville missed a field goal with 34, 342 left in the second quarter, right? Miami immediately gets a the ball. They're up 21-14 with 342 left, and they run three plays for nine yards. Yep. They have to punt it away, three and out, instead of going down the field and maybe getting another three points, giving yourself a little bit more of a margin. And then Louisville comes back, 11 plays, 77 yards, gets a touchdown, misses the extra point, thank God, and they were, we're up 21-20 at the half. Then you get all the way down there, you're up 28-23, you get a stop, and then you go six plays, 23 yards, punt it back to him after a sack of Tyler Van Dyke. Gets you out of range. It gets you into third and 20 because he gave up that sack. You have to give the ball back to Louisville. And what does Louisville do down 28-23? 11 plays, 89 yards, touchdown. They take control of the game and get the two-point conversion to go up 31-28. Game's tied at the end. You get the, you get the ball with 4.17 left. You get down to the goal line. Or actually, you're down, but you get down to the goal line, the three-yard line. First and goal, you get nothing with Mark Fletcher. And then the next three plays, you line up two by two, which is two receivers to one side, two receivers on another. The ball is on a hash. The right side is the wide side of the field. So you are effectively wasting these two receivers on the short side of the field on the goal line because you're not going to have a whole lot developing out of it. Right? Rather than going from a more condensed set or overloading one side and trying to cross up Louisville because they're clearly in man on the goal line, there's nothing else you could play. If you play zone on the goal line, you're going to get beat. And they did nothing to rub receivers. They did nothing to get guys open. Compare that to what Louisville did on the two-point conversion with Thrash. They motioned Thrash into the backfield on an orbit motion, then returned him back on the motion, got him the ball on the move, and got him in the end zone. We, we had no sort of creativity like that. And at the end of the day, they even tried There's a, the first shot towards the end of the show, but it still counts at the end of the day. It also, you know, there's another play that sticks out to me that shows like the lack of creativity and inability to sort of innovate on this offense. When they went wildcat on the first series on third and two, first yeah. of all, it's a horrible place to do it. You're third and two. They've got the box loaded. You see everybody up there, and they run it as if they've never run the wildcat before in practice. They let the motion go across. Rashard Smith catches the ball, and he doesn't know what the hell to do. There was no jet fake. There was no cohesion on the offensive line, and it was just a disaster, and they never went back to it again. So it's it's sort of like these, these things that, yeah, the Hurricanes look better. They got more yardage. They scored 30 points, but they're leaving a lot of meat on the bone. They're leaving a lot of plays on the field that they're not finishing. And they're just, when the opportunity strikes, when you yeah. get a stop and you're ready to put the game away, they just can't do it. Yeah. And that's and, on offense. Yeah. And I, and I, and I would say again, I, I think if you have a good quarterback and you have confidence in your quarterback, which they didn't show that a whole lot of, uh, even with Tyler Van Dyke playing well on Saturday, I thought it was very conservative approach for the most part. Um, 
it's hard to win games in college football. You got to be able to score points and you're not, your defense is not always going to carry the flag. So I don't blame Lance Gidry. They just didn't play their best. And Louisville uh, was out, out coached them basically. Um, yeah. Let's get to some mailback questions and we'll wrap this puppy up because we, you know, it is Thanksgiving week and we are doing this a little early. Uh, Miami again, plays Friday at Boston college, nine point favorites. This is from everything three Oh five on Twitter. Here's my question in, in advance for you guys. And even Raul, Will the portal positively or negatively impact this program in the next few months? I guess he wants our prediction, Carlos. What I I tend to think it's going to be a little both. I think they're going to probably yeah. lose a couple guys they want to keep, and I think they're probably going to pick up some guys because they have a healthy NIL system. And Kane's connection, it was announced this past week, is now the official uh, NIL plug for Miami and partner with the school. Um, they have money to spend, Carlos. Kane's connection. You got money to spend. Look, these beautiful MIA all day hats, this beautiful shirt in black. Check that out. Um, if you want to spend some money for NIL, these would be great gifts to the players, I would say. So if you want to hit me up, you know, I've changed my <laughs> handle on Twitter to MIA Ledo, which makes it much easier for everybody to find me. Uh, I can also shoot you uh, my email address if you want to DM me on, on X, whatever you want to do. So, hey, look into it, man. Let's Let's help these kids out. Buy some of my stuff. Anyway. I think the <laughs> we have to look at this from a net positive or a net negative. I think if the, at the end, you're probably going to see a net positive, although you may lose some guys that are really big-time playmakers that were never really utilized well down here. I, I'd hate to see Brashard Smith go. Um, you know, I'd hate to see other guys leave the program that can make an impact. But Mario's going to have to find guys in the portal, and he's not going to have to find you know just average guys. He needs to find playmakers that he can plug in right away. Um, to supplement this roster. And I think that's more of the target going into the portal this year, where you have some of those younger guys coming up that could be role players and backups. You just need a few frontline guys to plug and play to supplement the roster and make them better. And hopefully he does that and ends up being a net positive, not a net negative in the transfer portal. Guys, I'm most worried about Carlos, uh, Damari Brown, because uh, yep. I think Devontae Brown is probably leaving. And and I don't know what's going on with Sel and their father. Uh, I think, you know, they're probably a little disappointed that, um, uh, Devontae didn't play more, so I don't know if Demario will be a package deal with him or not. Um, you know, I, I would say obviously if guys like James Williams and Cameron Kitchens leave for the NFL, uh, that would hurt Miami because I don't know that they have the safety depth. Uh, I don't think Francis Maui Noah is going anywhere. KJ Cloyd is out of eligibility. Wesley Besaint, Miami has to make sure that he's locked in. Uh, I think Corey Flagg was introduced among the graduating seniors. He may be going somewhere. Who knows? It's a speculation on my part. And then, of course, Leonard Taylor on the defensive line. I think Miami needs him back. Uh, will he go pro? I, I'm not sure. Ruben Bain, obviously, is a huge piece. Uh, that's for the defense. And then on the offensive line, uh, you know, keeping Jalen Rivers and Nez Cooper, Francis Maui Noah. I think that those guys will all be back. Uh, and then it's a matter of can you develop McCoy? Is Samson Okalola ready? Um you know, tight end, you got to probably upgrade at that position, If especially if Elijah Royal can't get healthy. Receiver, you'll probably have all three of those guys back, and then we'll see what Miami gets in recruiting and if they can develop guys. Running back, you're probably fine, but quarterback, again, huge effing hole, Carlos, at quarterback in my mind. Um, yeah, that's my do breakdown. You, do you keep Tyler Van Dyke? Yeah. Does he move on? What, what happens there? <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, it's it'll be interesting what happens here. This is from uh, Quent Kent QB on Twitter. What is an air raid? Of course, this is a uh, reference to the question that uh, Shannon Dawson raised today. The most interesting thing from Shannon Dawson's interview, and I, I know you probably didn't get a chance to see it, was he talked about tempo and how really uh, the air raid is a mindset, you know. And and uh, you know when he was coordinator at another place, 
uh, he didn't worry about, uh, you know, playing complimentary football with the defense. You know, he snapped the ball as fast as he could, uh, play with fast tempo and pace. But in the end, the defense paid for it. You know, um, my question to you, uh, since since we got a what is an air raid question, Carlos, is do you think Mario should have played with more tempo this season? I think tempo is a thing that doesn't need to be that can be sort of relative to the game and the situation. I think parsed can, at times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You could use tempo at different spots to try and get you uh, points. And I think if there's a time where you need to settle down and go slower to slower pace to try and grind things out, kill clock, right. or even give your defensive rest, you do that. I think, you know, Rich Rodriguez, who was amazing at, at introducing tempo to college football, and everybody saw him famously do it at West Virginia, he had three different temples. He would wear three different wristbands as he was calling a game and whatever he tapped was the tempo they were going NASCAR being the fastest and the other two being slower temples. And that's just what you do. You use variable, te variable tempo because you not only want to rest your defense, you not only want to keep your offense fresh, you also want to be situational and you also want to try and keep the defense off balance because if the defense comes into a series locked in saying they've got this 11 guy set rotation, they're ready for the tempo and you mix it on them. It's going to throw them off. They're not going to be ready for it. So I think using everything, uh, spare, sparingly parsing it, using it in different spots, to me works better than just one consistent thing. Because if you're in a tempo offense and you're you're getting stopped and you get a couple three and outs, that's like just basically getting the defense right back on the field in 30 seconds. Yeah, and that's not fun. Yeah, and and let me tell you, Dawson spent a lot of time talking about that today. Uh, for those of you that get a chance, go go and watch that interview because uh, Gary Furman from Kane Sport asked him some really good questions about you know coaching the air raid basically asking him how much freedom he honestly has and right uh i think if you read between the lines it almost sounds like he said well you know i have to coach with the defense in mind we don't want to get the defense killed either and i think that's probably mario's influence on all this and the uh, whole what what is an air raid thing that's a complicated question because the air raid itself was developed as a two-back system that really yeah. came out of byu that mm -hmm. was then reshaped by how mummy and turned right. into the air raid and then further evolved by Mike Leach. That's now the spread air raid that you see. Yeah. Really, the point of the air raid is it's an offshoot of the West Coast offense that is quick hitting, timing routes, and basically running to open grass. And when you have a matchup either in man or zone, your routes should still work against those coverages because you're reading that coverage and either settling within the hole in the zone or running away from it. And then your goal is to have you know smaller sets of plays so you'll have smaller route calls. Let's say you'll have five passing routes to 10 passing routes, but you can run that out of multiple formations so it looks different and yeah. you're able to get guys the ball. A lot more questions here. We're going to try to go through them a little quickly here. Nordy Kane uh, or Gokas Barbell on Twitter says, how many unsportsmanlike penalties has Miami committed this year? Also, is there a stat which players have done so? Uh, so Nordy Kane, I used to go through and, and tabulate this uh, every year. So I had a running count of penalties. I don't do it anymore. Call me lazy. Call me, I don't know, it busy sucks. with other crap. Uh, but the bottom line is those were two bad penalties by Miami at the end of the game out of frustration by Brashard Smith. Could those 30 yards Jacoby have made a George. difference, right? Could Maybe. those 30 yards have made a difference? I think so. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is from Andrew V underscore 17. What things does Mario need to do to fix to be successful? Can you get all of that done this offseason? Um I don't know. That's that. It's such a loaded question, Andrew. And and I think going forward, it's a question we can answer in more podcasts as we move forward. But I think right off the bat, I would say he needs to loosen the reins a little bit on offense in, in the sense of if you're going to keep Shannon Dawson, 
and you're going to run his style of offense, you probably need to mix in more tempo, as Carlos and I have just discussed. Okay, parse it in there. I think you have to let your offensive coordinator be a little bit more comfortable with with maybe things that he's comfortable running. I think he has to figure out how to get the tight end involved in that offense. Um, will there be coaching changes? Can all that get done in the offseason? Probably. I mean, I, I they have to. They have to be ready for for the opener against the Gators next August. Yeah, I say you go out there and if, if you're allow if you allow Shannon Dawson to open it up a little bit or if he's able to open it a little bit up a little bit more and just do some of the things you saw Louisville do, man. Uh, you know, I tweeted out early in the game and I even texted you, I was like, Louisville is doing everything on offense that I wish we would do. You know, the motion, the shifting, the use mm-hmm. of the tight end, the personnel groupings, just they yeah. kept the hurricanes off balance. And every time the Hurricanes thought they found an answer to what Louisville was doing, Braum would come back with something else to counter it. And that is yeah. the difference. And I tweeted at halftime, I said, now the real game begins. You know, it's great in the first half, but Louisville's going to go in there and they're going to adjust. Can the Hurricanes adjust with them? Right. And then did to a certain extent, but they didn't to the level that Louisville did. And that was the difference in the game, man. And I think not only do you have to get talent, but you have to allow your coaches to coach and be creative enough and have the ability to draw stuff up to get your playmakers the ball, like a reverse to a Brashard Smith, like a flea flicker. Those things were great to see, but you've got to see more of that stuff, not necessarily in the trick play area, but there's things you could do in conventional offense that tricks defenses with motions and shifting and alignment that gets guys open and gets you bigger plays. And I, I want to see that next year. But I think if you add a, a tight end and a quarterback, um, you know, a tight end that could actually pass catch would be great. Right. And a quarterback, you might see a whole different offense. You might get to a 38, 40 points a game. How do you, this is from T. Miller Golf. Uh, how do you guys feel about the play calling inside the five when trying to tie the game? Great spot to involve your tight end and show some creativity. Louisville sure did. We we just went over that, T. Miller. I think it's pretty obvious uh, that that's that's where you missed an Elijah Roy or Riley Williams. Uh, and, and I think we don't even need to explain it. You you run guys in motion. You find space. You you score points. That's that's the job of the OC and and of the offense to get the job. And that's done. supposed to be the air raid. Yeah, uh, Corey Lowe. Uh, constant uh, follower of ours here. How much faith do you have in Mario going forward? He's a great recruiter, but at some point not winning is going to take its toll, right? Thanks guys. Yeah, Corey. I mean, every coach at a certain point needs to have proof of concept. And we talked about that after the Clemson win, what an important win Miami won with its offensive and defensive line. Well, Mario's going to have that film that he can share to offensive and defensive linemen going forward, right? He can sell that. Hey, we beat Clemson. The problem is, when you finish six and five or seven and five or six and six, um, the elite recruits that you want to come to your program and you're, you know, after year two are going to say, well, all the coaches at these other schools have better records than you. Why are you so average? And so that's where it becomes a problem. And it doesn't matter how good of a recruiter you are. Uh, everybody runs into this problem. If you don't have proof of concept with wins and losses, that is always going to hurt you more. So, yes, Mario has to start winning here. I think year three is the year. Like, it has to, this has to be a nine to 10 win year coming up for Miami. Yeah. And, and if it's not, if Miami is not in the ACC championship game or not even close to showing you the kind of progress that they need to have in year three, then I think it could very well be a failure here. Yeah, they're going to have to eventually produce on the field because there's only so much that rap and that moil that Mario gives you is going to go, yeah. how far it's going to go. If you're not winning games, those guys are going to turn turn away and go elsewhere. And you're going to lose guys on the roster, too, to the transfer portal. And that's yeah. going to be a problem. But I think we said it from the beginning, and I've said it. I think he's more Ed Orgeron than anybody else. He's that kind of coach. You know, Ed Orgeron was a great motivator, was a great recruiter. Um, people loved his personality until he started, you know, 
going around with the boosters' wives, um, <laughs> and started started banging them all. Um, but yeah, I think we're never going to have that problem, Mario. Uh, but I think the coaching is an issue, and I think that's what Ed Orgeron ran into. But yeah. even Ed Orgeron discovered Joe Burrow and had enough guys uh, come to LSU in terms of recruiting and talent that he was able to overcome his own coaching failings was able, and got out of the way of his assistance when it came to Joe Brady and that offense. And, and you know, the offense coordinator, I forget his name, because Joe Brady was actually the, uh, just a passing game coordinator and quarterback coach or receivers coach, whatever it was. But that's what's going to take with Mario. It's going to take that kind of a roster like LSU had. It's going to take that kind of a quarterback. And it's going to take the ability to for him to get out of the way and just let somebody cook uh, as the offensive coordinator for them to be able to overcome his failings as a head coach. But – you know, at that point, if you've got that many guys on the roster and you've built it up that well and you're you're winning, that'll just feed upon itself. And hopefully that's what it gets to. But like you said, next year, that's the critical point. That's the turning point. You're sub 500 in the ACC this year. You were sub 500 in the ACC last year. If you are not, you know, at least six and two next year in conference, uh, if you end up five and three, four and four, that doesn't bode well. And I think overall, if you finish less than nine wins, that doesn't bode well either. This is from uh, Kane6 or E. Julson6 on Twitter. Can you handicap the likelihood of Dawson returning in 24? The Louisville game cemented my stance that he isn't it. And the four plays he called to try to tie the game were trash. Um, If I had to handicap it right now, I would say it's probably 50-50. I think Mario certainly feels the heat. He knows he has to win. And I don't know that he necessarily... Um, and again, this is nothing that I've gathered from any conversations with him, but just my thought process, knowing Mario's history, um, and knowing the pressure he's under to win at Miami, um, uh, the way Miami finished the season on offense without a quarterback, uh, unless Shannon Dawson is bringing somebody really good in through the transfer portal. I don't know that there's a need to keep him. I think you could probably make a change and get away with it. Yeah, I agree, and I think you're right. 50-50 sounds about right. I think a lot will ride upon how they play against Boston College on offense next week and what they do in the bowl game. Mm-hmm. And you know, at that point, Mario will say, hey, listen, if I got too much heat, if I finish under 500 um, after the bowl game, then he's got to go. i got to kick somebody off the boat to be able to save myself, right? This is from Chris Groban uh, on Twitter. How is Louis- How was Louisville able to achieve such results in, sh- in such a short amount of time? They were not a good team last year. Well, Louisville, I think, was an eight-win team last year. And obviously, uh, bringing they had home, talent on the roster. They had some talent, certainly. Jawar Jordan was already there, uh, but they did upgrade on defense and the offensive line. In fact, I'll probably be writing an article for the Athletic about the improvements Louisville made. They brought in twenty-five transfers, more than anybody else in the ACC. You look at FSU's path, right, to becoming the power that they are now, the number four team in the country, number five team in the country. Uh, it was basically through the transfer portal with a sprinkle of, um. Guys, I, I asked Jeff Brom the question in the post game, and he said, you know, just got to be really good at identifying players, right? And knowing who fits your scheme. And then, like he said, uh, opening it up to competition and the best guys play. And 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 ultimately, when you bring in that many transfers and you sort of set the set the bar from the moment you walk in, hey, the best guys are playing. I don't care about who was here, who wasn't. Right. Um, that that creates a level of competition. But they they built a really good secondary. On transfers, they got guys from Virginia. They got guys from Carolina. Um, they got some pass rushers. They brought back Ashton Jalad, who was one of the best pass rushers in the ACC. And they had a really good running game. And they and they played to their strengths. They didn't do anything stupid. They really just played to their strengths. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you saw, Jeff Brom knows how to get the ball to playmakers. 
And when you cover up his main threat, the guy that's been killing people all year, he will find other ways to hurt you. And I think that's what a good offensive coordinator does. So it's that marriage between scheme and talent that takes you to a different level. If you've got the right talent, or if you at least have the talent that works well within your system and you know how to utilize utilize them, that makes them that much better. Yep. This is from Just Call Jay on Twitter. With the Hurricanes offering Cedric Bailey, the, the uh, quarterback at Hollywood Chaminade, uh, if he flips, does our chances to also flip Jeremiah Smith get stronger or am I grasping at straws? That's obviously a big storyline this week. Miami offering Cedric Bailey, who's committed to NC State. Uh, I would say this. Um, anytime you can get more of those Miami Gardens Ravens, all of those kids who played locally yeah. to want to come play together at Miami, like that's a good thing. And I thought it was a smart move for Miami. And I think it was a move that they were sort of preparing to do um, as the season went on. Uh, to try to see if they can get um, Jeremiah Smith and more of these guys to stay home, but will it work? I don't. I don't know that it'll necessarily work. LeBron James today tweeted about uh, Jeremiah Smith, and there's a lot of people who want him to go to Ohio State. And I would say if he doesn't go to Ohio State, I would say Florida State is probably the number two team because he just saw what Keon Coleman and uh, Johnny Wilson have done, and Miami's receivers have had a good year. But Florida State's a team that's 11-0 right now with a chance to go to the college football playoff in Miami at 6-5. and five. Yeah, so there's only uh, so far that's going to go. But, I mean, it, it can't hurt, right? I think it's it's yeah. another uh, another thing that will draw Jeremiah in, at least to keep listening to Miami if that ends up happening. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I like that they're diversifying the quarterback um, you know, pool in terms of the recruiting this, uh, this year. I, I think Bailey's better than the guy they had. Um, Judd, what's his name? Appleby? Yep. Appleby's uh, uh, D.R. Horton's. Uh, some other generic white. Name. I don't know. Um, he's he's okay, but I don't think he's the kind of quarterback that you'll find Miami that that you really need here in Miami. And I think Bailey's a little bit more uh, athletic, a little bit better, and you know, hopefully, keep adding more talent through the transfer portal before uh, it's all said and done. A quarterback. Yeah, Judd Anderson is from Georgia. He's another big quarterback. Two really tall guys, by the way. Him and Cedric Bailey. Cedric Bailey's like six seven almost. Uh, so is Judd Anderson. So uh, tall, lanky guys. Uh, I would say Bailey has played pretty. Really, really good competition, and and yeah. look, he doesn't make all of the best decisions with the ball, but he's somebody that all these kids grew up playing with, and they like. And I think sometimes, you know, bringing in a Jacory Harris helped Miami. They got a lot of those Northwestern guys in, in large part because of that, and they didn't, you know, turn the program around. But Sean Spence was a really good player here. Mark For Marcus Forston was a really good player here. Um, you know, there were guys that helped the program, and sometimes, you know, I, I think it's a smart decision. Um, all right. Uh, we have other questions here. I'm trying to see if there's one to sort of wrap this up with. Uh, this is from Ramon Soler, Don Ramon 0315. Do we win the Fresco Imas Bowl? Who is our starting quarterback in that game? It's a great question because Miami probably doesn't have, if Jakari Brown enters the portal and if Tyler Van Dyke's going to enter the portal, um, then who is the starting quarterback? Miami had, had uh, I think, uh, a, a, a walk on that got injured and, and quit because of concussion. So I have no idea. Maybe they just do the uh, direct snap to Burchard Smith all day. What do you think, Carlos? Yeah. Or they go uh, Australian rules football style and they have the punter play quarterback and they just play rugby all game long. Yeah. I think they'll have somebody play quarterback. I think somebody will play quarterback in that game, Ramon, who knows who it is, but somebody will play. Maybe it's Tyler Van Dyke. Um, all right, Carlos, let's wrap it up, man. Uh, final thought here uh, before Thanksgiving. Talk, answer this very, very important question for me. Uh, what are you having on Thanksgiving? What is the on the menu there at the Ledo household? 
So we're going to have a uh, a turkey, of course, and mm -hmm. we're going to have some lechon. You can't mm -hmm. go out. Every Cuban holiday, you got to have the pig in there, man. It's right. like, it's, it's right. sacrilegious if you don't. You got to throw that down. Rice, beans, uh, little little stuffing, mac and cheese. Uh, my wife's world-famous pumpkin cheesecake. And oh, she wow. makes it kind of like uh, little cupcake tins. So they're like small bite-sized pumpkin mm -hmm. cheesecakes. So I could devour them over the entire week. Uh, she's already made a few that she's she's gonna make more on Thursday, but she's already made some. And let me tell you, brother, by the time you see me next week, I may look like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. <laughs> you may have to call in the Ghostbuster because I'll be out of control. Because uh, this, I'm gonna, I'm about to get thick. I'm thick, but I'm about to get thicker. <laughs> well, I think we're having ham up here in St. Augustine at my parents' crib uh, as we spend the week up here with the girls and the wife and everybody else. Uh, I don't know what else is going to be on the menu. Mom usually makes some pork loin, like bacon wrapped pork loin, like every year, and, and it's delicious. So uh, I hope whatever it is, I get to eat a lot of it and enjoy it. I hope you get to enjoy your time with the family. And I hope the Canes, I hope they wrap up the season with a W on Friday, Carlos, because I want to be right about being 7 and 5. <laughs> and don't piss us all off the day after Thanksgiving after being on that trip to Fan High. Um, I hopefully will be able to eating leftover turkey sandwiches, watching the Hurricanes and enjoying the game, not throwing it back up as I watch them piss away another game. Make sure you follow Carlos Ledo on Twitter at MIA Ledo, right? New Twitter handle, baby. New, New Twitter handle. handle. Make sure you download his podcast, the MIA All Day Podcast, where he will further break down Miami's offense, defense, and anything else that you want to talk about. Thank you for uh, tuning into this week's episode of Wide Right. Remember to subscribe to The Athletic and to subscribe to our podcast here where we will have more shows going forward. We will have more recruiting coverage going forward as we near signing day next month on December 20th. But for Carlos, uh, I'm Manny Navarro from The Athletic. Thanks for tuning in to Wide Right this week. Peace. Enjoy the turkey. It's all about the you. It's all about the you.